Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 30. And we are immediately recording this after the unfortunate Game 4 loss in double overtime. Um, Adam is not available to join us today, but I am thankfully able to have Riley join us. So how are you doing, Riley? Well, first off, I hope that's not a premonition of what's to come because I think that was just Game 3 be lost unless we're going through time. But uh I'm not doing well. Um, I'll be fine about six hours from now after I go to bed and wake up, but feeling a little raw, uh, really could not put into words how I feel about Eric Bledsoe right now, because I don't want to be mean and I try to be patient, but we'll get into all that. But it was just super disappointing, a huge letdown. And uh, frankly, in my opinion, unacceptable for a team at this point in the season to have a top to bottom, almost near universal collapse like that. So uh, ready to talk about it. Yeah, uh, before we do that, we're going to just highlight game two, which was a much better experience in which Milwaukee pretty much boat raced, Ledeckied, Cruz, however you want to describe it, <laughs> over Toronto with a 125-103 victory. Even when Toronto scored 39 points in the third quarter, they were still down 17 going into the fourth. So that's pretty much a good indication of how that game was. Giannis had 30 points, 17 rebounds. It was a pr- pretty thorough team play Ursan Ilyasova had his breakout game and he just put on a sleeve and it was that should tell you everything you need to know sleeved Ursan was unstoppable in game three um, Kawhi Leonard was able to help Toronto out at 31 points on 18 shots which is pretty impressive but no one else outside of really Norm Powell did anything Marcus Gasol was unplayable so yeah that was a good time for game two yeah, I would say what was, in my opinion, most notable from game two, um, and I kind of talked about it, I wrote about it in the rapid recap after that, was the fact that it wasn't so much the starters, like, you know, the big three, as we know them, Giannis, Chris, and Eric, and then obviously, as you were saying, Brooke Lopez, not nearly as effective game two as he was in game one, but it was the quote-unquote bench mob, um, and Nikola Miritich, who really picked it up in terms of scoring, and I thought, you know, on both sides, both offensively and defensively, they did a wonderful job. So it was one of those games where it's like, you know, it builds confidence because you see this Raptors team that they put in this gigantic third quarter offensive clinic. They get it down to 13 and the Bucks are like, whatever. Um, And they had the depth to be able to just kind of outlast them, you know? Um, And so you're like, wow, I can't believe game two, they're already this tired. They looked, the Raptors looked exhausted six minutes in the game and you know, it kind of proved to be that case the rest of the game. So that kind of built me up, and I'm sure a lot of other people going into game three only two days later uh, that you might be able to boat race him again, but not to be the case. 
Yeah, I didn't think they were going to boat race Toronto in game three. Just, you know, going back home in front of that crowd. It was going to be a tough game. I what I wasn't surprised that Milwaukee lost it. Unfortunately, it was how they lost it that I think leaves more of a sour taste in my mouth. Just a terrible, no good, very bad game from those three, Giannis, Eric, and Middleton. Although, and I'll talk about it more, it's Middleton. At least he, on one end of the floor, was pretty great. But otherwise, just turnovers, 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 and missed free throws really doomed Milwaukee. Uh, they lose 112, 118 in double overtime. Um, yeah, Giannis was five of 16, 12 points. He had 23 rebounds, which was crazy. <laughs> it is but... really weird. Like looking at the box score, you're like, God, this is driven. Like, oh my God, he had 23 rebounds. Like it, it def- that definitely jumps off the page. Yeah. He like, if you would have told me Giannis had 12 points and 23 rebounds, it would have been like, okay, that's not bad. He also had <laughs> seven like, assists. That's yeah, also it's, good. <laughs> it's totally within his realm of like feasible box scores. That's how crazy he is. He's like, I'll just scoop up rebounds. And you would assume like, oh, he must have just deferred to everybody else. Like Giannis is such a good guy. He just gave everybody else a chance. Psych. Yeah. Oh, no, he gave everybody a chance. And I mean everybody, both Bucks players and Raptors players by having eight turnovers, which that was also part of Milwaukee's 20. That was really the biggest issue. Chris Middleton, three of 16, including one of six from three, only nine points, nine rebounds. Eric Bledsoe, also three of 16, one of six from three. Wow, that's a weird similarity there. And he had 11 points. And it was it's just those two seem to have just bad, mind-boggling turnovers at the worst moments in the clutch. Uh, Nikola Mirotic didn't shoot the ball well either, three of 11, one of seven from three. Brooke Lopez was okay shooting-wise. He was five of 10 through seven. Really, Milwaukee was only in this game because of that bench mob. George Hill, 7-9 for the field, 3-4 of four from 3, had 24 points, 7 rebounds. And then Malcolm Brogdon, 20 points, 8-17, of 3-8. He just seemed to hit the timely shots that Milwaukee needed. Otherwise, not much else really to talk about for the Bucs on Toronto's end. It was just a combination of everyone actually doing their part. Kawhi, again, fantastic, 36 points, 25, 11-25 from the field. Pascal Siakam had 25 points, 11 rebounds, including the clutch rebound and basket in the second overtime. Marcus Saul was actually good. He was four of eight from three, had 16 points and 12 rebounds. Otherwise, you know, Kyle Lowry, he didn't play that well. He fouled out. Danny Green didn't shoot the ball well, but he hit the one three that Toronto needed. Norm Powell, once again, killing the Bucks, going three of five from the from three point line and scored 19 points. So Riley, I don't know if you think this is more of a game that Toronto earned or was it a game that Milwaukee lost? I would say probably more definitively Milwaukee lost, which makes it that much more frustrating. Like I, I remember you, me and Adam talking last week when we were recording or whatever, like middle of last week where you kind of look up and down the box score for the Raptors. It's like, well, you, you know, you hope Kawhi continues to play at like maybe a slightly more efficient level, but you're getting pretty much the best you can out of him. And their biggest hope was pretty much everybody else raises their efficiency, like doesn't have nearly as dreadful of a night. Like Pascal Siakman shooting six for 20 from the floor. Like he, he didn't do that tonight and he got the rebounds. And while he looks scared to death to have the ball in his hands at the end of regulation, you know, he, he still, he shook out of it and he was there for them double OT. So he, he was effective and Norman Powell, he gets 30 minutes and he's, red hot from everywhere on the floor, which is just infuriating to watch and uh, really annoying. But, you know, they finally get somebody off of the bench to really give them some pop offensively. Um, And even then, even with all of that, 
they had massive foul trouble. Like you said, Lowry was out with, I think, like 640 left in the game, maybe almost seven minutes left in the game. Um, Pau, or not Pau Gasol, sorry. Marcus All. I'm all over the place with this game. Uh, Marcus All, he, he rolled with like five fouls for what felt like half an hour of actual in-game time. Um, and same thing with Norman Power. It took him forever to finally get that six uh, call against him. So, I w- but with all that said, um, it was just kind of incremental improvements. I think you really have to circle the fact that Giannis, Chris, and Eric had pretty much top to bottom, you know, pretty awful games. Um, yes, Giannis had the 23 rebounds, which is great, but otherwise it just it wasn't there for him. And um, when you waste what has been an awesome game after game from George Hill with that, and then Malcolm Brogdon to come in big as well and kind of waste that, um, it makes it that much more frustrating. So I'm going to key it in on the Bucks kind of losing this more than the Raptors winning it because I'm not sure if the Raptors did anything radically different other than make some shots from anybody not named Kawhi. Yeah, I I feel the same way. I was going to say if Pascal Siakam hits those two free throws near the end of regulation. Yeah, that's a wrap then. It, the game doesn't go into double overtime. So yeah. it was, I mean, they, they played well and they made the shots they needed to do. And Marcus all got going early, hitting three threes immediately. You know, Norm Powell's still doing a thing. Fred Van Vliet hit a three late. Like I said, Danny Green hit a three late. They just seemed to get the shots they needed. And for once, they had a solid performance from other players, not named Kawhi. Um, and you kind of look at the plus minus and it properly reflects that. You know, Kawhi was a plus 10. Siakam was a plus 12. Lowry is somehow a plus 15. And then you look at Milwaukee and Middleton's a minus 13. Bledsoe's a minus 16. Seems a little harsh. Mirtich was a minus 11. And Giannis was a plus three. But it was... Milwaukee had too many turnovers, and they missed 11 free throws. That's a combo that when you lose by six, those are the margins that are going to hurt you, especially at the end when Milwaukee didn't even get a shot off when they were only down four. Maybe you get a three-pointer, you're only down one, you make things interesting, but you have the backcourt violation from Chris. Bledsoe oh had. my God, that had me tearing my hair out. I'm like, what? What is happening? To it, what was most frustrating is we've become so accustomed to this team executing in the critical moments. Like they play from behind all the time, which is super stressful. But they've consistently been so squeaky clean in these sorts of tight moments, and to see it all kind of fall to pieces was, for me, what was most upsetting. The fact that you had that like Chris backcourt valuation, you had Eric. I wouldn't call it a brain fart per se, but like he decided that for whatever reason, an out of rhythm isolation possession for himself with like one pass on it was sufficient offensive or offense in overtime. So I thought that was what had me up the wall was the fact that it was just so sloppy. Like it's so annoying to watch them just mess up easy play after easy play or not easy play, but make the wrong decision over and over again. Yeah, I think for me it was the Bledsoe turnover. Oh that, my God. that one I was just like, why Why would he make that pass? What were you? That's one where I don't understand what the thought process was behind that. The Middleton one was equally as frustrating, but if Bledsoe doesn't make that bad pass, who knows what happens with Milwaukee? And instead of it being a four point Toronto lead, even though there was that double dribble, it's still maybe you take the lead, it's tied, it's only a two point lead, but you gifted. Toronto two points there. And that's one thing that I do want to talk about with Eric Bledsoe is he's been bad. And I've been trying to hold out hope that he'll turn it around and I'm holding out hope that he can get it together. But we haven't seen it at all this series. And it's becoming a little bit more concerning. I even said you have to just roll with George Hill and Malcolm Brogdon as your backcourt for the remainder of the overtimes. And I didn't think bringing Bledsoe in was a good idea. 
And he saw when he made when he took that ill-advised three, Boonholzer immediately got George Hill in the game. And that's something where Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know, maybe maybe Boonholzer will have a little bit short of a leash with Bloodsoe with how well Hill is playing and Brogdon is healthy. I think Bloodsoe and because they both had more minutes than Bloodsoe. Like Hill and Brogdon had 37 minutes, the Bloodsoe's 34. So I think he's going to be on a short leash going into game four because he can't make those brain farts again if you're going to shoot threes that's fine if they're wide open but you have to attack the rim and he's not doing that he's not attacking the rim he's kind of going back to last year's blood so where he's making these decisions where you're kind of scratching your head and i've been one of the bigger blood so defenders this whole year and said that he was consistently Milwaukee's second best player and right now he's not showing it yeah it's it's so uh, you know it, we don't want to keep on repeating ourselves but probably what's most difficult not only for eric but just for you know coach bud and the team in general is like everybody acknowledges that when he plays at the top of his game he offers the offense especially and you know defense that's where he makes his bread and butter but offensively it's so critical that he's able to kind of play up to his potential that we've seen throughout the regular season and when he's struggling like this you know, and I think we said this after game one, it's like, okay, is he, is it exclusively a Boston thing? Cause he has a really, you know, pretty great series against Detroit. He struggles to get Boston. So you think maybe it's just, that's the, you know, the team it's, you know, too, I wouldn't say too big of a moment, but he's still kind of rattled from last year, kind of understandable, but you get through it anyhow. And, you know, once again, he comes into the third series now and he's, he's has he had one single, like, great game i don't really think so um and i think over his last eight games he's averaged 11.9 points um and his shooting splits were 35.4 percent from the floor in general and a putrid 19.5 percent from three and he's averaging three point or 5.1 three-point attempts a game which is not great and then 60.3 point 63.3 percent from the free throw line so just Top to bottom is assist, four assists a game, 3.5 rebounds a game. Uh, he's turning over 2.4 times a game. So it's just everything that could go wrong for him appears to be going wrong, and it's not like a physical thing. It doesn't seem like he's injured or anything like that. It, it seems almost exclusively a mental thing, which how do you get around that? I have no idea. Like, is it you just keep riding him and hope he works his way through it? Do you take him out of the starting lineup? Does that tank his you know mental state even further, or is he kind of respond to that? So I do not envy Bud, but I have to say you might be able to get past the Raptors because you were able to get through game one and game two without them, uh, without Eric. But if you have any hopes of winning a championship this season, he has to be competent and playable within the, you know, at least 30 minutes of game time. You just need it. Yeah. Game one, he was three of 12 from the field. Oh, six from three. Game two, he was three of 10 from the field, one of five from three. And as we mentioned tonight, three of 16, one of six from three. So it's just been consistently not great offensive play from Bledsoe. And I don't think he's going to be pulled up from the starting lineup just because I don't think now is the time when you make a change like that. We were saying the same thing with Marcus all, you know, do you take him out the starting lineup and put in Serge Ibaka because he was unplayable in game two and Marcus all comes out, hits three threes and is a big impact for Toronto. So maybe with Bledsoe, you just got to hope that he can get, a little bit aggressive early and that's what you gotta expect but with the other player that everyone's going to want to peg this loss on chris middleton um he 
did not play well either. Three of 16 from the field, one of six from three, as we mentioned, nine points and nine rebounds, including that mind-boggling end-of-the-game turnover. But <laughs> I think for me, I'm less frustrated with Middleton because, and I said this on the Periscope, he is guarding Kawhi Leonard, and he has Kawhi guarding him. And to expect him to play as well as defense as he can on Kawhi and then turn around and still be an efficient offensive player is not realistic at the moment. Kawhi is too good of a player for that to happen. You know, if it would be one thing if Middleton wasn't guarding Kawhi and he was shooting this poorly, then I would say, fine, have your pitchforks out. But he's he's guarding the second best player in the series and someone that is in a zone at the moment. And he's got to spend all that energy. He's gotten himself in foul trouble. He had five fouls again. I think because Middleton is guarding quite nice, I'm not saying that it gives him a 100% pass for playing poorly, but that's a little bit more understandable and a little bit of a reason why I'm going to be less harsh on Middleton than I am on Bledsoe or anyone else. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. And I I would say tonight, especially it gets doubled just because Giannis falls out. So it's like, wow, it is literally all Chris right now because Eric is not there and George Hill, God bless him. He's been awesome the entire postseason, but I'm not sure if in crunch moments you want him necessarily like initiating and running the entire offense. That's just not what he's done all season long, and he's probably not super duper comfortable, even though he's good in spurts, obviously, as a sub. But, you know, in tight moments, do you, you probably want to give it over to Chris. But um, I would agree that I, I, I said it before the series or maybe after game one and after this game as well, I feel it even more that you just have to go forward, assuming that Chris is going to be a relative non-factor on offense. Um, if he can be a neutral, you know, contributor, that would be wonderful. Like he's not actively hurting you over on that end. Um, and even if he doesn't really have that much output, that's understandable because you have to exert so much energy trying to guard Kawhi and, you know, you have the foul trouble and eventually you switch over to have Malcolm on Kawhi and that works for a while. Like, you know, that Malcolm forcing Kawhi left at the end of the first OT to kind of get that really tough uh, fadeaway mid-ranger from Kawhi to kind of miss. That was awesome. Um, but I'm not upset with Chris. It's more so I think it would be ideal if he ch- he chose better spots to take his shots because if you're going to be exhausted – what we would love to see is not those tough mid-rangers where you're shimmying and you're kind of making all these moves where you don't really have the reserves to kind of expend that sort of energy. And was there any shot more Chris Middleton than, I think it was the end of regulation, or not the exact end, but like maybe a minute and a half left where um, they get the steal or they get the block. It's like a two-on-three or maybe three-on-two. Eric does like the the between-the-legs pass to Chris, and there are four Raptors defenders around, and Chris is like... I'm taking this in rhythm three like that's I I almost fell over when he took that shot I'm like why would you choose that to be of all shots like I know that's exactly the Chris middle tough shot express but wow is that frustrating to watch um but I would say just in general I I too I don't blame him but you have if that's going to be the case that makes it even more imperative that Eric steps up and Giannis doesn't have games like this so I I accept it for what it is I'm not going to knock him for it it is what it is but if that's going to be the case that pushes more pressure on everybody else. And when you have the other two main guys falling short, like they did tonight, then you're going to have a tough time. That's just how it's going to be. Yeah. And the weird thing is the Chris Middleton transition pull up three might be his best shot. Oh yeah. Well, that was, I was kind of like thinking it might go in. I was like, he's this crazy SOB is actually going to hit this shot with four defenders on him. Fortunately it didn't happen, but you got to OT anyhow. But it was like of all the shots. I, 
he's like the classic no 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 yes player like don't take that shot please don't and then it goes you're like okay well <laughs> we'll take it i suppose but it's uh when they don't go it they're infuriating at times yeah and and i think with middleton it was more you kind of mentioned it he hasn't gotten an easy shot i feel like i've not seen middleton take a wide open three in a long long time yeah he's had to work for everything like it, it, and it's not even just Kawhi. it's like you know the Raptors defense yeah everybody he's been he's been working all series long yeah but it is what it is like like we say don't expect middleton to really be boston series chris middleton flamethrower or even detroit just expect him to be okay and i think maybe him taking less shots would maybe help the team if they go towards brooke lopez see if he can get going Giannis, I think I think those shots just have to go to Brook Lopez or Giannis just because I don't know. Bledsoe hasn't shown that he deserves to get more shots. Mirkic three of eleven, including one of seven for three. They're good looks at least. So I don't know what more you can do with Mirkic and George Hill and Malcolm Brogdon. They're great because with the little shots they take, they always seem to go in and they seem to count. But you don't want to bank on. You know, you don't want them taking. I mean, Brogdon took 17 shots, which is about in line with what we expect. But I don't think we should have George Hill taking 17 shots. That might cause the cause the effect to be a little bit less impactful. But uh, yeah, I think he's he's taking just the right amount of shots, and like they're always the same exact profile. Like it's either a corner three or he's hard charging into the paint and praying to God that he can get some sort of finesse shot to go in. And usually they do as of late, which is awesome. But uh, definitely, I'm not sure if you start feeding them every single possession, it was going to be nearly as effective. Yeah, not ideal unless it was overtime, in which maybe they should have done that. <laughs> but because it got to that point, was Giannis following out in the second overtime? And he finished his night, like we said, 12 points, 23 rebounds. Tell me, Kyle, block, charge, what's your verdict? I I would say it was a block, but if that was Ursan, it would have somehow been called a charge. I think what, I mean, obviously it's, it. what's most annoying about it, like, you know, whatever, bang, bang, call, not the end of the world. But the fact that that's the foul that he goes out on, like, I, I don't know, it, I don't want to get too on Giannis because obviously he's the sun and the star of everything that we do. Is that a Game of Thrones reference? I think it might be. Shout out Game of Thrones people watching their season go down in flames right now. Um, yeah, apparently it's not good. <laughs> not great. Shout out Game of Thrones people. But uh, I think, you know, you commend him for being willing in that kind of situation to take the con contact, but you cannot leave up your final foul to that kind of 50-50 call. Like it, it's bang, bang in the moment. You're trying to do everything you can to get a possession back, but... I thought that was just kind of stupid on his part. Like, really, you're going to go down not even doing like a hard foul or like charge or something like that, where at least you're trying to go towards the rim. I, I thought that was silly on his part. Yeah, I something and I didn't realize Giannis was in foul, like had five fouls going into the second overtime. I just looked and saw and I was like, oh, that's his fifth yeah, foul. And yeah, me too. They did the foul trouble like graphic on TNT. I was like, oh God, I like, I fell over. I was like, Chris and Giannis both have five fouls. Like if one of them fouls out, we're done. This is, it's a wrap at that right. point. Right. <laughs> it was just one of those where I was like, if somehow neither of them foul out, the Bucks win this game. But unfortunately that was the case. And yeah, Giannis just had a very poor game. It was, I felt like this game was different than the Boston one and the Boston one, he just couldn't get anything going offensively. It seemed like, and you can argue if he was getting hacked and knocking in the calls, but in game one, he just couldn't get the shots to fall. Everything else was fine. And then in this game, it was Giannis just turnovers and it was just a lot of turnovers. 
And part of that was trying to do a pocket pass for six feet from the player in the paint, which never a great idea. But with Giannis, he has long enough arms that he could just hold it on a platter for them. But that didn't happen. A lot of the times the Raptors were doubling him in the pulse and he was throwing the ball wildly out of control, which led to a few steals. He had a couple travels. Just I don't think he, I think he had one offensive foul. But yeah, it seemed like in this game, his struggles were more the Raptors threw a different scheme at him and he didn't adjust kind of like in the Celtics game where they kind of threw a scheme at him. He didn't properly adjust. And this time though, he was still good on the defensive end, but offensively, man, all those, those turnovers hurt and the missed free throws were even worse. He didn't get to the line until the fourth quarter. And when he did, he only went three of seven. Yeah. The uh, free throws continue to be super frustrating, but you kind of live with that. I think, Coming out of this game, I'm not sure if we can declare like Toronto has quote unquote figured out Giannis because nobody's figured out Giannis. But what we saw time and time again, especially late, was when that kind of wasn't when the usual driving kick or try to get around the paint wall that they were putting together wasn't working. It wasn't so much, you know, the offense got going again because Giannis adjusted and started kicking out properly and getting like open shooters. It was more so you could notice. A lot of the Bucks' points were coming, it seemed. I, I would have to go back and look at the stats on have it right in front of me, but it felt like there were a lot of point pains coming from guys not named Giannis, whether that be, you know, once Giannis fouled up, Brooke Lopez inside kind of doing putbacks or, you know, pirouetting as he does every once in a while, like reforming back into this post guy that he used to be, or Malcolm Brogdon time and time again. Either it was an awesome three-point shot or, you know, blowing by Kawhi a couple of times to get to the rim or George Hill, again, like, when the team was successful offensively, when the threes weren't falling and when Toronto was just kind of harrying the Bucks on the perimeter, it was almost exclusively because the guys not named Giannis took advantage of the fact that if Toronto's going to commit so much, so many resources, you know, energetic and defensive wise on the perimeter, then you have to take care of it in the paint. And if they're going to do both perimeter and try to shut down Giannis, then that falls on the other guys to realize that and take advantage inside, which Malcolm did, George Hill did, Brooke did to a certain extent. Eric tried to kind of at the very end, but wasn't successful. And I think that's kind of, again, on the rest of the team. And it, at the end of the day, you were right there regardless. And if Giannis is a slightly better day, then it's probably a wrap regardless, like you win the game. But um, I think that's just something to kind of keep an eye on as we head forward if Toronto tries that strategy again in game four. Yeah, I expect the Raptors are going to try that same strategy again because it was successful. But a lot of the ways that it could alleviate it for Giannis is other shooters hitting their shots. Milwaukee went 14 of 44 from three, which is 31.8%, which is kind of the continuing trend of them not shooting particularly well from the three-point line. They shot 31, like I said, 31.8 tonight. There was game two, which was only 31.7%, 13 of 41 from three. And then you had game one, which we all know was a... Yeah, we have to talk about that. And that was 25%. So, right. (laughs) Milwaukee has yet to shoot the ball well from three. And, you know, you got to have guys like Nikola Mirotic hitting shots, Ursula Sonova and Pat Connaughton when they're in for their 10, 15 minutes. They need to hit their shots. Chris Middleton, we've already talked about, probably not going to happen. But Milwaukee just needs someone else to hit some threes. Brooke Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon, and George Hill are the only three players that have consistently done it this whole series. So I don't know what needs to change if they just have to run a couple of plays or if they're, Milwaukee's just do to have a outburst scoring from three just because Toronto seemed to have their outburst today. And that's something that I think they're going to feel good about 
like I said, Marcus all coming out and hitting three threes in a row. Fred Van Vliet have finally hitting a three. Danny Green finally hitting a three. They shot 37.8 from three. So I think it's going to be – I'm hoping Milwaukee finally gets the shots to fall. I just don't know how much of that is just cold shooting and how much of that is Toronto's defense. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys! It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the reality. Um, super frustrating game from top to bottom. Um, and like I said, from the very top, I thought it was pretty much unacceptable for Giannis, Chris, and Eric to all three of them play as poorly as they did. But you... you you have to kind of continue to keep course with what has worked for you all season long. Like you got through game one, which is a total rock fight and you still win that one somehow game two, you totally wipe them off the floor game three. They finally shoot a little better. And even still, after all that, they still have to run Kawhi 52 minutes and we'll kind of see, I don't know if anything will actually come of it, but you kind of saw him at the, I think it was in the second overtime. He got that breakaway dunk and, um, or over Miritich, I think he did. And he kind of seemed like he was grimacing a little bit. And both he and the team, the Raptors were a bit mum on what his health status was. So I don't know if he re-aggravated something in his knee, but regardless, they still had to play in 52 minutes. Siakam, another 50 minutes. And as frustrating as this game was, and trust me, everybody, I'm super duper frustrated. Like I, I can't, can't believe that happened you have to continue to hold the course and hope that the war of attrition goes in your favor and you don't have another night where those three top line guys for you have such awful performances. So um, annoying, but survivable for sure. Yeah. And I guess the next time we record, it's probably going to be next Sunday. And hopefully um, we don't have to continue to talk about the series and the games being played because Milwaukee will play game four on Tuesday Game five will be on Thursday. And if it has to go to game six, then that's going to be next Saturday. And game seven will be on Memorial Day. So I feel like the Bucks are going to win this in five. I'm feeling pretty confident that they were, that they're going to come out and win game four. It's going to be another rock fight. And then they're just going to run away with it in game five, having that crowd at home. I think they're going to feel good about it. Maybe it's going to be one of those where there's just not enough legs left for Kawhi and the rest of the Raptors after that seven-game series gets Philly, and now you have this double overtime. I think maybe the legs start tiring a little bit and walking plays a little bit faster and that depth really comes in. I, I do want to ask you a question kind of as we go into game four in terms of like adjustments. If, if there's anything that you would do to change, like I could definitely see 
yeah, I don't know if this is a topic that people are already talking about, but maybe people thinking like, oh, should we try maybe putting Malcolm back out there in the starting lineup? Like, is there anything change you would make there? I know you were suggesting kind of going Hill Malcolm to finish the game, but that's more so probably in the moment. So I'm not sure if there's anything that you would change per se in terms of lineups or minute distribution or anything like that. Yeah, I don't I don't know if putting a Malcolm Brogdon in the starting lineup is necessarily the best thing for Milwaukee. It's it's weird because if he's in the starting lineup, then you just have another consistently good player in that starting lineup to surround with Giannis. But at the same time, then you're looking at the bench and wondering, is this something that you really want to take that risk of, of having George Hill really be the only guy from the bench mob you can rely on? And it's a weird situation just because it's. I think it's a win-win for Milwaukee. You know, you have Brogdon come in. That's a good player. He was a starter before the injury. If you continue bringing Brogdon off the bench, he can feast on the backup guards of Van Vliet and Norm Powell, possibly. So I think for one more game, Miritich will start. And if he still has another cold shooting night, then I wouldn't be surprised if Brogdon were to start for game five. Otherwise, I think the only adjustment you really make is putting a shorter leash on Bledsoe. And, you know, if he's going to struggle and if he's going to make bad mistakes, then you just take him out and put in Brogdon because he's now capable of playing regular playoff intensity minutes that he would have been playing had he not got hurt. Yeah, I'm a little I'm not super duper worried about Malcolm but like to go from zero or what we would assume is a relative zero and I'm sure he did his best to keep in shape but like when you have a foot injury there's only so much you can do to stay in shape per se um, and to see him go from that to like all, all of a sudden ramping up to 37 really critical like key minutes um, I'm not worried about him re-injuring but I am curious how how full his gas tank is still as the C- series goes on um and it, depending on if the bucks wrap it up in five i'm not sure if coach bud would go back to trying sterling at all if like he just felt like maybe trying something a little bit different but um i would agree that in general you probably don't rock the boat too much and you rely on the fact that you just have a deeper team um and even though norman powell seems to figure something out and he'll probably maybe be a threat the rest of the series. I gotta he's killed us already in the past. So I don't want to like jinx it one way or the other, but you know, Fred Flynn Fleet seems to not be all about it right now, besides that one three he shot. But you have to just kind of rely on the depth um and kind of things that have worked out already to keep on carrying you. It's frustrating again after a game like this to kind of keep the keep the pace you were at before. But I think they'll probably end up doing that, the Bud and the rest of the team. Yeah, I I think you just roll with what got you there toronto i don't know if you're gonna be able to cons- rely on marcus all repeating his performances i know when he's on he's really good but i don't think he's gonna play that well again i don't think you know pasco siakam is gonna play as well it's kind of weird because i feel like he hasn't played well this whole series but he still makes the plays that are needed yeah, it didn't even feel like tonight he played super duper well either. I mean, obviously the plus 12 and he had, you know, a pretty good night, but there were moments where I was like, man, it's just, it's tough for him defensively. Like when he gets matched up, even Eric, like there were multiple times that Eric was taking in the paint, just knocking Siakam over. Like he's just, he doesn't have the strength right now to be able to hold up against the bigger guys that the Bucks have. Um, so I agree that like stat line wise, he looked good, but there were still times where it's like, uh, and he looks scared. Like I said, this, <laughs> it's like totally, a, a, you know, whatever obnoxious thing to say as a guy who has never played anything more than pick up basketball, uh, recording a podcast from the opposite team, but he didn't, <laughs> he, he did not look confident, uh, shooting the ball at the end of regulation. Like he snapped out of it, but still like, 
I, you have to assume he's still probably a little shaky heading forward. Like, I'm not sure if he can really rely on him game to game as Toronto. So it's going to fall to Kawhi and credit, you know, huge credit to him on both ends. He's answered the call definitively, even if he wasn't super efficient in game two, he's been there the entire series. And I think he'll continue to be, and whether or not he'll gas himself completely and be totally unplayable if they make it past the Bucks, who knows, but, you know, credit to him for being so good as he has been this series. Yeah, Kawhi has been a gamer and a baller, and I give props to him. He's been great on both ends of the floor. Nothing really more he can do at times. He just hits those tough shots. Otherwise, I think that's going to be it for us. Again, the Bucks lose in double overtime, 112 to 118. They are going to play game four on Tuesday. And again, if game five will be on Thursday. So hopefully that's going to be the end of it. For now, we are going to sign off. I am Kyle Carr. Thanks to Riley Feldman and Adam will possibly be back next week, but otherwise everyone have a good night. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking.